0: and thank you for joining another episode of Global Perspectives, a Janice Henderson podcast created to share insights from investment professionals and the implications that they have for investors. I'm your host for the day, Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy, and I am thrilled to be joined by two of our brightest, Greg Walensky, U.S. Head of Fixed Income and Portfolio Manager, and Jeremiah Buckley, Large Cap Equity Portfolio Manager. Together, they co-manage the Janice Henderson Balance Strategy. Gentlemen. Thank you for being here. I really am thrilled to speak with you both today. There has been no shortage of drama in both equity and fixed income markets this year. Somehow we are already in fall. I know this because everything smells of pumpkin spice (laughs) and football's on our TVs again. So it really is timely to talk about where you see opportunities in both equities and fixed income heading into the end of the year as investors are really narrowing in on closing 2023 out strong. Before we get to what's ahead, I do think we need to recap what got us here today. So I'm going to go to you first, Greg. 2022 was not a great year for the 60-40 portfolio. And just levels that, why was that the case? And do we think that those risks are broadly behind us now?
1: I, I was hoping it was already behind me and I'd never have to speak of 2022 again. Yes. But uh, yeah, no, 2022, especially from the, from the fixed, fixed income side, was... Either the worst year we've had in 40 years, by some measures, or frankly, I, in an absolute return perspective, the worst year I think we've really ever seen uh, in the modern era for fixed income. So so what happened? It was, a, I think, a combination of factors. One, obviously, we're dealing with a, an economic environment where we had inflation spiking quite dramatically as we came out from the COVID lockdowns, and we're still dealing with a combination of supply chain issues at the same time that we had strong demand so that large imbalance of the supply and demand that we've had occur several times in the past but it happened also at a time where we started from such a low level of yields whether we're talking about nominal treasury yields that you know st- we're starting the year below two percent or if you look at real or inflation-adjusted yields, which were actually negative. So that was a really, if you will, nasty combination of dealing with a situation with extremely low starting yields and all that inflation pressure, and then a, a Federal Reserve and other monetary authorities around the globe having to fight inflation uh, all at once. So seeing absolute returns down in the negative, you know, mid-teen. Type levels, underperforming cash, even by a little more than that, is just an environment we haven't seen in almost in my lifetime.
0: And that is something that I have heard on client consultations last year. It really was fixed income, not necessarily providing the balance that they had hoped it would in a 60-40. So again, on that, do we find that that risk is broadly over? The Fed obviously raised rates over 500 basis points. We don't know where they'll go from here, but... We feel like we're coming to an end of that major risk we saw.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, one of the beauties about fixed income is the linkage between what worked against us in 2022 of yields and prices. But uh, the setup that it creates is is much more attractive. As we were experiencing those price declines, it means the starting yields. That thing that I said was essentially providing the tinder that could cause the the negative reaction that we had last year is now in a much better starting point. We've got, you know, yields at levels, nominal yields at levels that we haven't seen since uh, prior to the GFC, the last kind of the last big crisis in, uh, in 2008, 2009. So those yields are much higher. Real yields on 10-year tips went from negative 1% to almost positive 2%. That's actually, to be honest, that's higher than where I think they'll be in the long run, so you're at a much, much better starting point from a yield level, so that's great. You're going to be able to generate income from fixed income. That's a nice, uh, it's a nice uh, combination or a nice idea there. And then as you noted, uh, we if, if we're not at the end of the Fed hiking cycle, we're incredibly close. I personally think we're probably done, but even if it's one, even if it's two more hikes, which I don't think will be happening, that pales in comparison to the 525 basis points in hikes that we've already had.
2: Right, so. Can I just add add on that, just to, to close out the 2022 discussion, I think it's important to note that it was an extremely rare supply chain situation. We had a pandemic, we had a war, And so that led to this very unique year and event or environment where inflation was such a difficult factor for both markets. And so as a result of that, we saw this extremely rare positive correlation between bonds and stocks during the year, which we don't see. And over time, it it fluctuates between no correlation to negative correlations. And in most periods where we have economic difficulty or uncertainty, it's usually demand shocks. And in those cases, fixed income performs very well relative to equities. And so those are the more usual kind of volatility that we normally see that has helped 60-40 perform in those types of environments in the past. And so I think we need to kind of chalk 2022 up as an extremely rare situation. And that going forward, as as Greg notes, the environment and the level of rates that we're at today is in a much more favorable situation.
0: Yes, and we don't want to rehash 2022 too much, but that was an extremely helpful backdrop we know inflation and fixed income don't mix and that inflation and duration and equities don't really mix that well either. So we're starting from a much better level today. Heading into equities this year, we have seen a very strong year. Is that kind of, because last year was so painful, is that why 2022 and the sp has been doing so well? What would you talk yeah, this year too? to? That,
2: that's certainly part of it. So if we look at 2022, we had uh, you know a substantial decline in equity markets. Almost all of that was multiple Related, we did have earnings estimates come down for 2023, and we're gonna we're looking at you know flat to modestly up uh, earnings in 2023 relative to 2022. And the original expectation in 2022 was that we were gonna have 10% growth, and so so 23 estimates came down, but multiples also came down. And as we finished 2022, the multiple was actually kind of below what we've seen in recent history for the equity market. Um, so we we were bullish coming into the year uh, on equities and thought that the the outlook was was positive. We, we thought the outlook for both asset classes was positive coming into the year. And so as, as we've gone through the year and as inflation has come down to much more kind of manageable levels, we're not certainly to the point where the Fed is satisfied yet, but it's down to more manageable levels um, and it's come with less of a demand destruction than everyone feared. So obviously uh, there are a lot of forecasts for a recession this year. You know, we just uh, got second quarter GDP of up 2%. A lot of forecasts are for a positive GDP growth again. And so the recession that a lot had forecast for this year hasn't come to fruition. And so as a result of that, earnings for companies have, have been better than expected. Part of that has been the supply chain has started to normalize. We've seen labor markets starting to get back to more normal levels, still not to where the Fed would be, again, happy with, but uh, we're getting there. And then the, the other piece that's helped, you know, the S and P five hundred up seventeen percent so far this year, is this budding technology called artificial intelligence. <laughs> Never heard of um, it. And accelerated computing. And so while you know we were all aware of this and thought that this was a long term opportunity and innovation that will help drive both technology spending but also productivity and efficiency, I think it really hit that asymptote and, and accelerated uh, this year to help kind of drive both equity markets, but also the thought that we have this innovation that's gonna drive a lot of productivity that can help solve these kind of long-term labor issues, can help kind of bring inflation down as a result of that. And so that's been very beneficial and we're still very optimistic about the potential of, of that technology and what it's done in the short term, it's accelerated technology spending when we thought higher interest rates might lead to a decline in technology and capital spending that would lead to this recession and instead we have an area that's driving kind of growth going forward.
0: Okay. And then just to dig into that a little bit more and then we'll transition back to fixed income. For listeners who know what my team does, we consult with client portfolios daily. Most of the clients that I've spoken with this year have either been underweight risk because of that most anticipated recession ever, but they definitely probably been underweight the top seven within the index. So. It sounds like the outlook for equities. How you would approach taking equity risk in this market today is just being a little bit more focused on earnings. And is there elements of hearing this rolling recession running around? Like, tech was in a recession absolutely last year, so it's just being more picky with opportunities. What would you say to equity risk in this market?
2: Yeah, so I think it, it's a it's an environment where security selection is extremely important because, to your point, I think we're having these rolling recessions, which I think is, has a potential to keep us out of an overall recession, but you know certainly has pain for certain sectors. And so we've certainly seen that, whether it be consumer goods or electronics and components, which has certainly seen difficulties this year. To your point, you know, a good portion of the equity gains this year have been driven by a, a small number of stocks that have benefited from this artificial intelligence theme that we've, that we've talked about. But when we look at those, we think a number of them, the earnings have supported the growth in the stock prices and we think valuations there are still reasonable There are certain examples within that group though, that we're also concerned about from an evaluation standpoint. We think that they could be ahead of themselves. And so I think it's it's very important, given the multiple expansion we've seen in the NASDAQ, that we need to be very careful on how we select securities within that kind of artificial intelligence themes and trying to identify the kind of the haves and the haves nots If you take out those, you know, top seven and some of those high-flying tech names, You look at the rest of the market, the valuation on the rest of the market, we think is still reasonable. And we think a lot of the top companies, the companies that have the best scale leading in their industries have the ability to use artificial intelligence to improve their business and make themselves more productive and efficient going forward. And so we think there are opportunities kind of finding the beneficiaries, not just the companies that are benefiting from the the technology spending and the capital spending today but those companies that through the practice of artificial intelligence can improve over time. And so we still think there are are opportunities in the equity market. I think, again, we have to be careful because the valuations are at a different point than they were at the end of 2022. And that's why security selection here is, is so important.
0: Super helpful, good message for clients who have just been having to defend owning a diversified portfolio and not just seven names this year. Going back to fixed income, Greg, obviously the winning strategy over the last year and a half has been to just, have no interest rate risk. Should investors still be afraid of duration?
1: Yeah, absolutely agree that in the last year and a half or so uh, avoiding interest rate risk was, was the way to go. The best play was to have less interest rate risk than whatever your home base was, your benchmark, or or essentially stay as close to cash as possible. Uh, I believe that actually has pivoted. You know, late last year, even early this year, we felt like the market was actually starting to— was still pricing in rate cuts too soon. But over the second quarter, when front-end rates uh, rose by about 80 basis points, what you saw was those rate cuts, for the most part, being— priced out of the market. And we think if if anything, actually, it may have flipped to the other side where the market is expecting maybe a little too much of the soft landing or even no landing scenario. And we still think there's a, a reasonable chance that that reduction in inflation that we expect to continue to see will occur in the face of a weakening economic environment. And that will bring the Federal Reserve into cutting mode sometime next year. So with that, we are seeing it as being more appropriate to to lean into or, or consider adding some interest rate risk.
0: And I think that's a great point. One of the biggest concerns that I get with clients about leaning into duration or adding something is especially over the last couple of weeks, seeing the longer end reprice higher. And they're still nervous given the Fed hasn't committed to pausing yet. So you know, do you have a message to them on, you know, there's no perfect time to add duration, but you're obviously finding opportunities now. Yeah.
1: There, there's always risk uh, in anything having to do with investing and certainly in trying to call interest rate movements it is something that we do every day. But we actually kind of just like Jeremiah was talking about, about security selection being crucially important on the on the equity side on the fixed income side we will make inter- take interest reviews but we much prefer to use our research and all all of our experience to pick individual investing but people always want to talk about the duration call so we're we're absolutely willing to do that i think at this point while taking on a little more duration and given the inverted shape of the yield curve you're giving up a little carry to do that. And last year, we didn't think it made sense because we thought, you know, again, the market was pricing in aggressive cuts going out into the future that we didn't think would actually be realized. Now that yield give up is much smaller. And we think uh, we're getting much closer to that point in time where rates will start, policy rates will start to uh, either stop moving up and eventually start to move down. So having some of that duration in your portfolio means two things. One, you kind of avoid the eventually, you're, you don't care so much about the return over three months. You care about your returns over, let's call it, two to three years. And we think that duration will outperform over that kind of time period. And then certainly as we think about 60-40 type strategies, having a little bit of that duration in the portfolio or having more duration in the portfolio is Going to help you position for if there is economic an economic downturn that would cause earnings estimates to fall and cause weakness on the equity side you're going to want to have that duration to provide that ballast
0: wonderful thank you so that's a great recap on where we're seeing opportunities where we've been it's very difficult to predict this macro environment and i do think it's great that we're working at a fundamental shop where we're leaning on expertise and our knowledge to pick the right companies the right bonds that we can put in our portfolio so jeremiah just what are you most focused on in the equity markets over the year ahead from sector whatever perspective you might see yeah sure <laughs>
2: so while we're not dismissing the the possibility of a recession i think it's important for us to continue to monitor the lagged impact that interest the rising interest rates have i think we've got to be careful not to declare victory that you know hey rates are rates are higher now the fed is close to being done and there's been no impact on the economy there is a long lag and i think in particular in this case where a lot of companies issued debt, you know, during the pandemic at very low rates, there is likely an explanation for a longer lag. And so we need to be very careful about that. And while the economy in the U.S. continues to be resilient, there is weakness outside the U.S. and other countries. And so we need to be careful about that as well, because being in the U.S. large cap space, we focus on multinational companies. And so we're very concerned about what's going on in China, what's going on in Europe. And so th- those are kind of the, the two concerns that I have, I think, uh, on a more positive note, you know, I think what's, what's helped this year is, is, again, that supply chain normalization, the labor market normalization with participation, improving, um, immigration again, kind of helping in that framework as well, but also supply constraints easing and that lead times are coming down. And so we're getting to a more efficient manufacturing system as inventories have come down. And so that should continue to help. We've also seen raw materials come down. We've seen transportation costs come down. And those haven't worked their way yet through a lot of companies cost of goods sold yet and so we're still optimistic that we'll see margin expansion kind of going forward and as long as companies are improving margins we think that the labor force is generally uh safe and that we could continue to have pretty good employment which continues to kind of drive the drive the bus and lastly you know i I talked a lot about artificial intelligence but it's really an important technology that, that uh, we need to keep close eyes on both on how it impacts different companies who are supplying that growth and that investment, but also who are, again, benefiting from that and how it changes their business and how they become more productive because that productivity growth will continue to drive uh, their ability to invest and grow their earnings over time. And so those those are the areas that we're focused on. We think there's there's concerns that we have to be aware of from a macro standpoint, but We think there are internal initiatives and internal themes within the market and the economy that can continue to drive earnings growth going forward
0: thank you and greg you touched on this a little bit sounds like you think fixed income can once again be the ballast in a 60 40 portfolio again is there anything else you want to add in terms of what you're really excited for about fixed income in the year ahead
1: so yeah, you, you definitely noted that from a, an overall asset allocation setup, it's in much better position. And, and I think we're much more excited about how 60, 40 portfolios can behave in, in a variety of economic environments. As far as what we're doing on the fixed income side and what we, what we're most excited about from a kind of a portfolio construction, perspective. I think Jeremiah said it so well when talking about, you know, there are definitely economic risks and we want to make sure we're, we're building a resilient portfolio. And as we look across the various sectors of the bond market right now, in our view, we can see some sectors that I think are doing a better job of pricing in the range of outcomes that can occur. Some of those could be very positive economic outcomes, but there's also we've got to be on guard for, for economic downturns. And as we do that, I think broadly speaking, we're, we're finding that we can add very high-quality, securitized assets, whether we're talking about securitized credit assets, let's say asset backed securities or uh, mortgage backed securities, the spreads that are being offered there are kind of tend to be above their long-term averages, in some cases closer to their wides than their, their long-term averages, where when we look at a corporate credit, that's tending to have spreads that are below their long term averages. So if we look at that and say, you know, whatever economic environment we end up in, we might as well take more exposure in those securities that are offering higher spreads than normal. So overall, even if we get an economic downturn, I think for, for reasons like the one that Jeremiah pointed out, most companies and the individual households are coming into this, this recession that everyone, you know, the recession, if it happens, the one that everyone's been forecasting, in a better starting point than they would have been in most other situations. It's households having refinanced their mortgages, having still some excess savings. So they've locked in low rates. Same thing with corporations that have locked in low rates. So even though in that situation, we can have some pain for sure. We think we're, we're kind of it won't be as bad as a normal, a normal downturn.
0: So I've heard that the explanation for no recession, by the way, is Taylor Swift, Beyonce, and Barbenheimer. However, I do think that those actually make a little bit more of a realistic (laughs) answer in terms of why we haven't gotten there yet. So thank you both. I think the last thing I want to wrap up with is just summarizing... The insights you provided were great. For implications for investors, I got three takeaways. It's extremely difficult to, again, predict this macro environment. In equities, I think it's good to, what I'm hearing, be picky in terms of what you're owning from a valuation perspective and emphasis really on earnings. You actually came out with a piece recently on our blog that's talking about that focus on earnings. In fixed income, we still like the short end of the curve. It's still attractive given the inversion, but it's time to start leaning into duration a little bit more. And then from my perspective, a lot of clients do have a lot of cash sitting on the sidelines. So you offered some really great opportunities in terms of deploying some of that, getting a little bit more comfortable adding into risk. So the last thing I wanna wrap up with is obviously, these are great insights for the core of a client's equity fixed income allocations, but you manage a multi-asset strategy. Is there value for clients also owning a strategy that is multi-asset in addition to that core? Jeremiah.
2: Yeah. So obviously uh, obviously, we're biased and have an opinion on this. But we do think from from an overall uh, strategy standpoint, having a balanced strategy makes sense in that we hope that having less volatility, maybe not capturing all of the upside in equity markets, but not capturing all the downside as well by having that ballast of the fixed income portfolio to keep investors confident enough to stay invested instead of being parked in cash and having that on the sidelines. And so they have that ability to participate in capital appreciation when markets are favorable, but they also have some protection when uh, markets are more volatile. What we've been focused on over time is trying to add value through asset allocation, adjusting between equity and fixed income over time to be able to add value relative to a static mix of equities and fixed income. Um, and then the security selections, that added kind of security selection, alpha creation makes us believe that you know having a, a balanced strategy as a, as a core part of your portfolio continues to make sense.
0: Anything to add there?
1: I think Jeremiah did a great job. But if I would add one thing in saying the fact that it's not just about bringing together an equity portfolio, swapping together an equity portfolio and a fixed income portfolio. I, I think one thing that any investor could do that they could pair an equity mandate and a fixed income mandate and try to make asset allocation decisions. I think one of the things that's different for us is we are talking about how the allocate the fixed income allocation and the equity allocation are going to interact with each other and think about the risks and scenarios that might be good or bad for, for each allocation and try to essentially manage the risk at an overall aggregate level rather than just thinking about this as two bolt-on portfolios. And that's something that can't be replicated if all you're doing is marry an individual fixed income and equity portfolio together.
0: Makes of sense. That's exactly what we see in our consultations with clients that do have multi-asset portfolios It can get the opportunity for them to get a pivot in their portfolio of overweighting equities or fixed depending on the strategy, but still staying invested in that core. So it does tend to have the ability to provide some smoothing effects on volatility. So clearly, thank you for your insights. You guys work very closely together you're in constant contact with one another. Thank you so much for sharing your insights here today. And thank you for tuning in to this episode. For more insights from Janice Henderson, feel free to download the other episodes of Global Perspectives anywhere you get your podcast, or you can go to our website at janicehenderson.com. I'm Laura Castleton. See you next time.
3: 10-year treasury yield is the interest rate on U.S. treasury bonds that will mature 10 years from the date of purchase. Alpha compares risk-adjusted performance relative to an index. Positive alpha means outperformance on a risk-adjusted basis. Basis point or BP equals 1 one-hundredth of a percentage point. 1 BP equals 0.01%, 100 BPS equals 1%. Carry is the excess income earned from holding a high-yielding security relative to another. Correlation measures the degree to which two variables move in relation to each other. A value of 1.0 implies movement in parallel, negative 1.0 implies movement in opposite directions, and 0 implies no relationship. Credit spread is the difference in yield between securities with similar maturity but different credit quality. Widening spreads generally indicate deteriorating creditworthiness of corporate borrowers, and narrowing indicate improving. Duration measures a bond price's sensitivity to changes in interest rates. The longer a bond's duration, the higher its sensitivity to changes in interest rates and vice versa. Monetary policy are the policies of a central bank, aimed at influencing the level of inflation and growth in economy. It includes controlling interest rates in the supply of money. National Association of Securities Dealers Automated Quotation System, NASDAQ, is a nationwide computerized quotation system for over 5,500 over-the-counter stocks. The index is compiled of more than 4,800 stocks that are traded via this system. S&P 500 index reflects U.S. large-cap equity performance and represents broad U.S. equity market performance. TIPS equals treasury inflation-protected securities, bonds issued by the U.S. government where the coupon and principal payments are adjusted in line with the rate of inflation. A yield curve plots the yields, interest rate, of bonds with equal credit quality but differing maturity dates. Typically bonds with longer maturities have high yields. An inverted yield curve occurs when short-term yields are higher than long-term yields. Diversification neither assures a profit nor eliminates the risk of experiencing investment losses. Equity securities are subject to risks including market risk. Returns will fluctuate in response to issuer, political and economic developments. Fixed-income securities are subject to interest rate, inflation, credit and default risk. The bond market is volatile. As interest rates rise, bond prices usually fall, and vice versa. The return of principal is not guaranteed, and prices may decline if an issuer fails to make timely payments or its credit strength weakens. Securitized products, such as mortgage and asset-backed securities, are more sensitive to interest rate changes, have extension and prepayment risk and are subject to more credit, valuation and liquidity risk than other fixed-income securities. The views presented are as of the date published. They are for information purposes only and should not be used or construed as investment, legal or tax advice or as an offer to sell, a solicitation of an offer to buy, or a recommendation to buy, sell or hold any security, investment strategy or market sector. Nothing in this material shall be deemed to be a direct or indirect provision of investment management services specific to any client requirements. Opinions and examples are meant as an illustration of broader themes, but not an indication of trading intent, are subject to change and may not reflect the views of others in the organization. It is not intended to indicate or imply that any illustration or example mentioned is now or was ever held in any portfolio. No forecasts can be guaranteed and there is no guarantee that the information supplied is complete or timely, nor are there any warranties with regard to the results obtained from its use. Janice Henderson Investors is the source of data unless otherwise indicated, and has reasonable belief to rely on information and data sourced from third parties. Past performance does not predict future returns. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal and fluctuation of value. Not all products or services are available in all jurisdictions. This material or information contained in it may be restricted by law, may not be reproduced or referred to without express written permission or used in any jurisdiction or circumstance in which its use would be unlawful. Janus Henderson is not responsible for any unlawful distribution of this material to any third parties, in whole or in part. The contents of this material have not been approved or endorsed by any regulatory agency. Janus Henderson Investors is the name under which investment products and services are provided by the entities identified in the following jurisdictions, a. Europe by Janus Henderson Investors International Limited, Registration number 3594615, Janice Henderson Investors UK Limited. Registration number 906355, Janice Henderson Fund Management UK Limited. Registration number 2678531, Henderson Equity Partners Limited. Registration number 2606646, each registered in England and Wales at 201 Bishopgate, London EC2M3AE and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and Janice Henderson Investors Europe SA. Registration number B22848, at 2 Rue de Bitburg, L1273, Luxembourg and regulated by the Commission de Surveillance du Secteur Financier b. The U.S. by SEC registered investment advisors that are subsidiaries of Janus Henderson Group PLC, c. Canada through Janus Henderson Investors US LLC only to institutional investors in certain jurisdictions, d. Singapore by Janus Henderson Investors, Singapore, Ltd., Company Registration No. 199700782 n. This advertisement or publication has not been reviewed by Monetary Authority of Singapore, e. Hong Kong by Janus Henderson Investors, Hong Kong Ltd. This material has not been reviewed by the Securities and Futures Commission of Hong Kong. F. South Korea by Janice Henderson Investors, Singapore. Limited only to qualified professional investors, is defined in the Financial Investment Services and Capital Market Act and its sub-regulations. G. Japan by Janice Henderson Investors, Japan. Limited, regulated by Financial Services Agency and registered as a financial instruments firm conducting investment management business, investment advisory and agency business and type 2 financial instrument business. H. Australia and New Zealand by Janice Henderson Investors, Australia. Limited, ABN 47124279518 and its related bodies corporate including Janice Henderson Investors, Australia, Institutional Funds Management Limited, ABN 16165119531, AFSL 444266, and Janice Henderson Investors, Australia, Funds Management Limited, ABN 43164177244, AFSL 444268, I, the Middle East by Janice Henderson Investors International Limited, regulated by the Dubai Financial Services Authority as a representative office. This material relates to a financial product which is not subject to any form of regulation or approval by the Dubai Financial Services Authority, DFSA. The DFSA has no responsibility for reviewing or verifying any prospectus or other documents in connection with this financial product. Accordingly, the DFSA has not approved this material or any other associated materials nor taken any steps to verify the information set out in this material, and has no responsibility for it. The financial product to which this material relates may be illiquid and or subject to restrictions on its resale. Prospective purchasers should conduct their own due diligence on the financial product. If you do not understand the contents of this material you should consult an authorized financial advisor. No transactions will be concluded in the Middle East and any inquiries should be made to Janice Henderson. We may record telephone calls for our mutual protection, to improve customer service and for regulatory record-keeping purposes. Outside of the US, Australia, Singapore, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Europe, and UK, for use only by institutional, professional, qualified and sophisticated investors, qualified distributors, wholesale investors and wholesale clients is defined by the applicable jurisdiction. Not for public viewing or distribution. Marketing Communication. Janice Henderson, Knowledge Labs, and Knowledge Shared, are trademarks of Janice Henderson Group PLC or one of its subsidiaries. Copyright Janice Henderson Group PLC. C0923-51363-31525TL.